And it's the Jim Meskimen Podcast. This is December uh, 17th, 2015. Hard to believe. Still, whenever I say 2015, I suppose next year, in a few weeks, when I say 2016, I won't believe that either. Some people you just can't convince. Well, this is a time of uh, the winter, and even in California, it's actually gotten cold in Los Angeles, what we consider cold, which is about, you know, when it gets to be about 45 degrees. It's actually, I think it was about 50, 55 degrees today. It felt just terrible, terrible deprivation. I kept having images of uh, myself as Dr. Zhivago trekking across the frozen expanse uh, as I walked to my driveway in the blazing sun. But it was, it was chilly. Now, I've been all over the country this year, and uh, I've been to much colder places than L.A., and yet L.A., I don't know, the, the tolerance for cold weather is just, uh, it's ingrained into all of us, especially those of us who grew up here. And so if the temperature gets below 50, man, we're just ready to call out the snowplows. Well, this is a big time in, uh, in Hollywood for, uh, this is the, the time of Star Wars. This is the Star Wars season. There's the cold and flu season, and we're in the Star Wars season. And um, my daughter is going to go and see it. She's got tickets. She's going to see it on Saturday. I have no great Jones to see it. I, I, I will see it, obviously, because it's so important. Cultural mythology of our time and it has so much to do with, uh, really, American business. And the whole business of being an American right now seems to be tied up. It seems to be the prime myth that everybody wants to dive into. I can certainly get along, get, get behind it more than I can. Uh, pardon me, Ross Marquand, more than I can, uh, you know, some of the zombie stuff, you know, which I, I find uh, entertaining and yet in the end kind of depressing, you know. Uh, this at least, uh, I think they're going to hopefully cleave to the old uh, messages of, of honor and friendship and faith over adversity and uh, whatever, defeating the status quo and all that stuff. Who knows? Who knows what kind of uh, stuff. I, you know, I trust J.J. Abrams will do a great job because I think he's very, very talented and very, sh- very sharp young man. But uh, I wanted to share my Star Wars uh, story with you. In 1977, was it, that it came out? I think it was 1977. Star Wars aficionados would slap me silly for not knowing the year. Anyway, when Star Wars first premiered at the what was then the Grauman's Chinese Theater, and now is, the, I believe, the Man's Chinese Theater, or it may be the Westfield Mall Chinese Theater. I'm not sure. But back then, it was the Grauman's Chinese Theater, the big theater, before they subdivided it, you know, when it was the whole estate and not all the little hamlets that it is probably now. Uh, I went with a friend on the second day to see Star Wars, and I was very pumped to see it in a way that I see people being pumped to see this one. I was... 17 or ish, you know, I could drive. I know that. So I had to be at least 16, 16 and a half. I drove with some of my friends. uh, And I I was very pumped to see it because the trailer was very evocative. It opened, I don't know, a a door, if you will, into something that I found very intriguing and absolutely irresistible. The imagery, all those little things of that first trailer, which now would be probably look like a I don't know, a very unsophisticated affair, was at the time just absolutely gripping. There was no explanation. There was no description. It was just, here it is. These are some images. These are some short scenes. And uh, we know you dig it, you know, and, and, and we did. So we, we young people at that time 
were lined up in droves uh, and went into Grandma's Chinese Theater. And as I say, it was the large venue that it was in, in its heyday. And uh, so it probably seated, I'm just using my imagination here and my estimations, I think it had a balcony. I, I want to say it had to be a couple thousand people. That was in the day when you could have a theater, a movie theater, a cinema that had that would seat a couple thousand people, and that was a good business to be in. Today it's not. That's not practical. But back then it certainly was. We didn't even have videotapes then, you know. Oh, I really sound like an old codger. But I just want to paint the picture that everybody was swarming to the Grandma's Chinese Theater. And I remember two events that happened there. One was tremendously creative, and I've never seen it duplicated. And I, I don't know who did it or why, but it made a big effect. And it, was, it added to this uh, carnival atmosphere as there was tremendous expectation. And everybody was very happy to be in that room about to see what they're about to see. I imagine just like this week, people were just felt very privileged to be staring at a screen that was, you know, now dark or full of advertisements and would shortly propel them into the universe that they wanted to go to. Anyway, we were all, you know, getting ready and there's a lot of hubbub and people finding their seats and it's very jammed. And I saw a person, I was, you know, probably pretty far back. And I saw a person, a male, carrying the two most enormous tubs of popcorn that money could buy. Or maybe it was four. I mean, it was a quantity of popcorn that was excessive. And it was the most ostentatious show of popcorn imaginable. And, uh, you know, at great expense. Anyway, he's carrying, let's say, four tubs, because I think that paints the picture. And it's, it's probably likely true. Four of the, you know, 20-gallon tubs of, of uh, Grandma's Chinese popcorn. And he's walking down towards the screen, down the center aisle. So he gets to the middle of, of the theater, of the aisle, in about the center of the theater. And then he calls out very loudly a name, an unusual name. He calls out, Conrad! Which gets everybody's attention. And then a split second later, he does this fake trip pratfall. And in doing so, hurls all these buckets of popcorn into the, as high into the air as he possibly could. So it created a fountain of popcorn in the center of the theater. And you can imagine pandemonium ensued, people applauding, laughing, cheering. And popcorn, of course, all over the place. Ushers coming to sweep it up quickly. It was, it was, it was an effect. This guy created an effect. I don't know who that person is. If you're listening, sir, <laughs> you're probably older than I am now. Uh, but uh, or if you know, if it may, perhaps it's your grandfather or or your your uncle who did this and who's been bragging about it ever since, or maybe they were silent and very you know, dignified about it. I don't know. Let me know because uh, I I I feel like I'm the only person that saw it. Although a room full of us saw it, but I've never heard anyone talk about it. And that was on the second day at Grandma's Chinese Theater. Boom, Conrad up in the air. Tons of popcorn all over the place, completely wasted. Not None of it in the barrels anymore. So that was the first thing. The second thing I'll never forget was, and the significance of it didn't really strike me at the time. I have my own theories about it now. But the movie began, the spaceships at war, deep space, or perhaps it's before that moment. Anyway, again, the fans will know this better and will just want to just 
bitch slap me until the cows come home until I get this right. But I, I don't recall exactly, but I do remember this. The super, the title read, A Long Time Ago in a Galaxy Far, Far Away. That title created a bigger effect than even the Conrad popcorn geyser. The audience went completely nuts. And I don't think it's because the movie's starting now, because that was already evident. We would have seen the, the logo for the studio. We would have seen various other bits of bric-a-brac, uh, titling and so forth. That stuck with me because it really was remarkable. I mean, it was really unexpected. And I, too, felt this surge of, uh, I don't know, delight, recognition, excitement, exhilaration, expectation. All these things coursed through my body at that point. And then we were on board. We were, we were going for it. And, you know, that train has not slowed down. That was 1977. It's 2015 almost 2016, that train is still running. The excitement, oh, sure, there have been ebbs and flows, and, you know, I frankly bowed out at, uh, at the Phantom Menace. I didn't see anything past the Phantom Menace because, uh, I don't know, it seemed like that movie, and this is another topic, and, and I'm, I'm, again, unqualified to speak about it uh, as a kind of a, not even a fake fan, but, you know, the whole issue of the these little mitrochlorians, is that what they're called? Lilliputians? That are, anyway, it's in your blood, and, and if you have a certain blood type, then you have the force. That, I think, really, really dusted that whole concept and took away any sort of egalitarian charm and, and spirituality away from the concept of the force. I mean, when, once you say, well, the force, and you, I mean, it is almost a religious kind of concept, and I think we all identify it in one way or another, no matter what religion we have, or if we're irreligious, we still kind of recognize that there is something beyond uh, the material, evident, apparent thing uh, in the body and the, the, you know, the personality or whatever. There is something that can be controlled by the individual at some level that is powerful and that that would be reduced to something genetic and jumping in the blood. I just thought that was just corny stupid, and invalidated, I felt, one of the strongest messages and one of the great appeals of the Star Wars myth. So I bailed out at that point. I haven't even seen the Clone Wars, and I don't know, I guess there's another one. And uh, But this one, I think, I, you know, if J.J. Abrams stray, stays, uh, doesn't stray, but stays true to his uh, what he usually does with franchises, uh, you know, I think he'll, he'll probably mine the best of that and leave all that crazy... Uh, mechanical, materialistic minutia to to some other idiot down the line. Anyway, but the, the other thing that was what I was talking about is that when that title flashed in a galaxy a, a long time ago, first of all, a long time ago is not how you start a futuristic sci-fi movie. And I can't think of any significant sci-fi film of that time and very few since, that have placed the action just chronologically in man's backtrack rather than in man's future. Star Trek is in the future, for example. I mean, there's lots of others. But that was a very interesting choice. And I think that there's, uh, you know, some echo uh, within us all that that could be possible. And uh, it's not, if you, if you consider that mankind is, you know, made up of 
of individuals who are spiritual beings. And then you maybe even go as far as to say, well, spiritual beings, it's different from a body, right? So a spiritual being conceivably does not have a shelf life. A, a spiritual being can exist. Uh, and, and maybe that's the immortal part of man that we always hear about. Well, how long does immortality go? Well, it could go pretty long. How far back could a being have existed? Well, you know, could be, I don't know, a couple hundred years maybe. Oh, I don't know, maybe a thousand years. Well, you know, maybe a few tens of thousands. Who knows, right? But this was putting it way back there, way, way on the way back. It didn't say 10 billion years ago. It didn't say 1344. It said a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That combination, I think, was tremendous. just living lightning. And that was the way that the, that the crowd responded. The only addendum to that is that, uh, you know, that's something that people, I don't find people talking about it very much. I don't find people making much of that significance. But to me, it's, it's extremely important to the saga, to the appeal of the saga, certainly, and to its uniqueness in the pantheon of, of science fiction, um, most of which is, as I said, like H.G. Wells, put in the future. You know, it's, it, maybe it's just 20 minutes in the future. Maybe it's uh, 150 years in the future. Or like uh, Battlefield Earth, uh, which is a book I actually respect and love a lot. Uh, that's in the year 3000, so that's placed in the future. But this was on the backtrack. Very interesting choice. And so, naturally, I was... Uh, you know, a bit of a smart ass and a bit, a bit, you know, peaked. You know, I was a little disappointed when, when Disneyland years ago, probably in the 80s, again, please fans, let me know, uh, put Star Tours, the virtual reality ride in Disneyland. They put it where? In Tomorrowland, which was a complete compromise of that whole concept. And I didn't hear anybody say a word about it. But it's funny, too, that that is something that it is put on the backtrack and is apparently an old, old, old tale, has also dictated our future and all the styles and so much of the fashion and so much of the just the, uh, the design of Star Wars is now everywhere around us, all through products and clothing and, you know, who knows, it's going to really amp up now. I'm sure it's going to really go crazy. But, I mean, the idea that people would hold computers in their hands and walk around and talk to people in 1977 was like complete futuristic sci-fi. And uh, that's all stuff that has been seen in Star Wars and, and is usually part of speculative fiction. Well, speculative fiction, this particular brand of speculative fiction actually takes place in the past. And that, I think, just makes it really delicious to people. And I don't think they really register it intellectually I, for the most part. I've never talked to anybody about it that went, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, maybe you'll, you'll correct me. Let me know, as I'm sure you've thought about it. Here's a little something from uh, Tate Rupert and myself. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Dr. Ira Presky, and this is Ion Health. We're talking about diet and food and all the ways that uh, people can stay alive and stay healthy. I have on the line uh, a real great uh, friend of mine, a nutritionist, a man who has been exploring the ins and outs of uh, what to put in the body for a long time. He's uh, 
an expert on various kinds of foods, in particular the superfoods, the foods that can energize and keep the body healthy and uh, hopefully expand the lifespan of, uh, of men, women, and children all over the world. Billings J. Twadell. Billings, are you on the line there? I'm on the line. It's so great to talk to you, Ira. What's new on the superfood horizon? What's keeping people alive now? Uh, well, you know, as you know, my wife and I, um, Jackie, uh, we love to do a lot of hiking. And we've been in the Pacific Northwest uh, for the last three months. And we have discovered a, a great, great beneficial, beneficial new superfood that we really want to let people know about. Jackie, now, is this a kind of a, of is this re- related to some of the kelp, the wonderful kelp that we find on the shores there in the Pacific Northwest? Because I know that has all oh, kinds of nutritional oh, value. Yeah, it certainly does. It certainly does. But no, we're more inland. In fact, we're in the Redwoods. Okay. And uh, Jackie and I were walking and we noticed that a lot of owls were looking at us, uh, the majestic uh, nocturnal owl that uh, loves to hang out in trees sure. and look down upon people. And we forever, forever have known about the nutritional benefits of owl. Hmm. The benefits of owl are going to go through the roof. It's going to be uh, this this season's uh, krill, this season's fish oil. Uh, I, I'm telling you, the benefits of owl are what we're, we're investigating and researching the whole owl. Wow, every part of the owl, as they say. Well, are, are there commercial applications for this, or, or what? Well, you know, as you know, an owl is a majestic creature of the woods, and it's the only forward-facing uh, bird. Their eyes face forward, and they stare at you, and they stare at you with a with a sagacity, with a knowledge, uh, which says, uh, "I'm I'm I'm of this earth, and I'm one of the species of this earth, and I'm here to benefit man." And and when we see them on our hikes. Jackie said, there's something going on with those owls. I can feel them. So what we did is we trapped a few, and uh, we took their blood. Uh, originally, we would uh, we just took a little bit of their blood, and we mixed that with some krill oil. And we thought that we, there could be some benefits here of a great new superfood, and we struck out. And it was Jackie that said, why not just focus only on the owl? And in the process of our, uh, our home, uh, we have a home a desaturation plant mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm, in our home. It's mm. a freeze-dryer. Freeze well, and, and you've talked about that before. We, that's something that everybody needs to have. Oh, yeah. we want we, The benefits of desaturating anything, uh, we, we really highly recommend it. I mean, you can have your juicers and all that, but you really want to desaturate. You really want to freeze-dry. You know, we took the owl and we freeze-dried it. And then we essentially broke down its basic components. And after we freeze-dried it, we, uh, we put it in an in emulsifier, and we turned it into an effervescent powder. Mm. And all you nearly do is you put uh, this owl effervescence, you add eight ounces of water to it, and you're drinking owl. And I'm telling you, the benefits of drinking owl are, are through the roof. So there must be all kinds of trace minerals and vitamins uh, with the owl. Uh, would you care to comment on exactly what, what kind of a punch is that owl packing? Well, it's packing a big punch, and here's why. It's not so much what the owl eats. It's what, what the owl does to it. And uh, I don't know the digestive properties of the owl, but I just know that it breaks down whatever food it's eating and turns it into uh, carotene, beta-carotene, dyna-amino acids, and uh, the nutrient level is through the roof. The minerals, the vitamins, just the uh, dyna-amino beta-carotenes alone, uh, we, we had to create a new chart. It just spiked it. And uh, that was just with an eight-ounce glass. 
Now, wow. I will say this: we have not worked on the flavor so much. Okay. There, there is there there is a tartness to it. Uh huh. But the, the benefits far outweigh that. So there's a kind of an owl owl flavor to it. Would you say at this point still? Yeah, there's definitely an owl taste as you're tasting it, and you're left with an aftertaste of owl. If I remember correctly from uh, my uh, biology class, owl is one of the few birds uh, or few meats that does not taste like chicken. No, it, it does not. It does not taste like chicken. There's just a very uh, pungent tanginess mm-hmm. uh, that's left with you. Uh, but the energy of, uh, alone, the benefits, you, you really uh, you feel it right away. What sort of, yeah, what sort of benefits, because you've talked about superfoods before and algae and lots of other products that you've been uh, nice enough to share with us. Uh, what makes this uh-huh. a cut? What makes owl uh, a, a cut above uh, some of these other superfoods? Are there any special properties? Or s- I'm so glad you asked me that because uh, our youngest son, Jeremy, uh, was, we tested it out on him first. We always test our things out on Jeremy. And hmm. as you know, he's going into the eighth grade mm-hmm. and he's on his high school uh, football team now. Wow. Uh, most superfoods, most superfoods will leave you feeling very energetic, but some of them will make you more energetic than you need to be. Mm. What owl does is the property of the owl is that a calmness comes over you, mm-hmm. a stillness, mm. a sense of uh, a, a wizened uh, energy comes over you. So as I said, Jeremy's playing on the football team. He resigned from the football team and prefers now just to stand on the sidelines and watch. That is, well, that says volumes for uh, the capacity of this superfood to really uh, do uh, incredible things for the nervous system, uh, the brain, and uh, the other functions of the organs. Say, uh, I got to ask, uh, <laughs> this may seem stupid, but uh, can he see in the dark or anything like that? <laughs> well, you know, he likes to stay in his room with the lights out, and I can only assume that uh, one of the benefits of Powell is that he is seeing better in the dark. Wow, incredible. And what about the owls? Uh, when I think of the owl, I also think of a, one of the few creatures that can sort of turn his head all the way around. I mean, is that something that people could, could develop by, uh, by ingesting owl, or is that just a pipe dream? Well, we were hoping so. We have, we took, uh, we have, we've done some tests on Jeremy, like I said, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a protractor, and I think his turn, your turn radius is getting better and better. Uh, but, you know, that's, that, that, those, those are benefits that can only come when we've completed our research. Sure, but sure. We hope that, uh, well, as I say, it's, I mean, we can all dream. It's, uh, it could be pie in the sky. And, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of call for turning your head completely around unless, of course, uh, you know, your rear view mirror breaks or something like that. And you all of a sudden have to look immediately behind you without any kind of uh, physical discomfort. Well, like I said, Jeremy's in the eighth grade. He'll be driving soon, so uh, hopefully, you know, if he has enough owl, wow. that will Fing- help him with his driving exam. Fingers crossed on that one. Now, uh, you say right now it's still in development. It's not something that we're going to find at Whole Foods anytime soon or Trader Joe's. Uh, no. But do you have any kind of expectation of uh, of when we might be able to, to try out some of this effervescent owl beverage that you're developing? Well, we hope to have it, you know, through the FDA within the, you know, within a year. Uh, but these things do take time. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. now, though, we're selling it locally. 
uh, from oh, our are. home. Oh, uh, yeah, we're doing an effervescent uh, little packet, mm-hmm. uh, owl packet. Oh, well, that's great. You're selling it. So anyone who's up there who knows the uh, secret location or your compound, I guess if they can make their way through some of the booby traps, uh, you'll be able to give them some uh, some free packets. You know, the people that can find me will find me, and they will benefit from it. Well, that's great. Well, uh, we're all looking forward to it, Billings. It's a very exciting subject. I hope you'll uh, continue investigating. Do you have any other areas that you're looking at uh, that might yield fruit in the superfood area? Uh, well, as you know, most superfoods are organic-based. You know, they're, they're, they're based in vegetables or, or fruits right, or, right. Uh, you know, the animal kingdom. But uh, I'll say this now, and you'll be the first to hear it. We're going to be doing some research with some refrigerator magnets. That's exciting news. Billings J. Twadell, more power to you. Give us that website address if people want to get in touch with you. EffervescentOwl.com Thanks so much. Well, Star Wars also, to get back to my earlier topic, Star Wars also uh, is an interesting kind of phenomenon as a cultural phenomenon. We're all so in love with this, um, these characters and this world and this, uh, these possibilities. And it's funny because I think the big popular movies of the day say a lot about our culture and the conflicts that our culture is going to. Somebody's been pointing out on social media that uh, I haven't read it, but uh, I'm, I'm sure it's very intriguing about the relationship between, you know, the rebels and the empire and how, <laughs> I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised if America bears more of a relationship to and a resemblance to uh, the empire than uh, to the rebel forces. And, of course, we've got all the uh, really dramatic and awful um, fuse-burning kind of terrorism going on right now at home, both with our own populace people shooting people like just like every other day and the the ISIS phenomena I you know I really wish we would call it ISIL because I feel for those poor girls out there who are named ISIS I know there must be tons of them and you know it must be hell for their families because every time they get on their cellular phone and say uh, where are you going ISIS uh, oh I'm going to join Fred ISIS don't join Fred Fred don't join join ISIS but you know that that bangs around the NSA and people probably are being raided constantly just because they had the misfortune of naming their daughter the beautiful name of Isis, when we have this perfectly acceptable and accurate name, ISIL, which nobody's named. I don't know anybody named ISIL. I know plenty of girls named Isis. Well, I mean, I read about one. Anyway, also, it's an election cycle we're in the middle of. And is this the craziest thing of ever? I mean, I don't think any of those people, except maybe a couple, would I would even send them out for sandwiches on either the Democratic side or the Republican side. I feel like whoever's kind of calling the shots, and I am a little bit of a conspiracy theorist this way, I think we're given choices that are appalling choices. And I'm, I'm sure there are better people out there. So, you know, every election year, when we get it down to the, you know, the Republican person and the Democratic person, to me, it's like the choice between, oh, do you want horse crap or do you want dog crap? Um, oh, I don't know. You know, dog crap's been good, but uh, I'm kind of sick of it. Now I'd like some horse crap. You know what? Let's talk about something else. Hey, I wanted to wish you a happy holiday. If you have a holiday, I hope you do. Uh, you kind of, everything's going to shut down anyway. You're going to have a holiday whether you like it or not. But uh, enjoy time with your family. Uh, get creative. You know, every winter I just want to hole up and I want to do an art project or something. It's very, I don't know, it's a time for me. Uh, I'm nesting, I guess. And I don't know why, but I just feel like sort of sequestering myself and doing something creative. So 
I say, go ahead, splurge on it. Have fun, watch movies. Enjoy, enjoy yourself, enjoy your family. I'm really looking forward to spending time with mine. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate it. I, uh, I will continue it on and on and try to interview some interesting people for you or some uh, non-existent people for you. I can definitely guarantee that. I've got a bunch of them lined up. Impress Me, our series, should be running again in uh, March, I'm told, on Pop TV. I'll let you know more about that. Be safe. Be with your loved ones. Enjoy life. And uh, remember, you're better than that. You really are. Thanks to Tate Rupert for the improv. Thanks to Jeff Levin, as always, for the music. And I will talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening.